Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Russian President Vladimir Putin called the U.S. dollar's drop in dominance, quote, objective and irreversible during the recent BRICS summit in South Africa as Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa formally agreed to use local currencies instead of the U.S. dollar. It's the first shoe to drop. As demand for the dollar weakens, the buying power of the dollar also weakens. That's why Birch Gold Group is busier than ever. Investors and savers are looking to harness the power of physical gold held in a tax-sheltered IRA. Text Monica to 989-898 for your free info kit on gold. Thousands of happy customers, an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, and countless five-star reviews, you can count on Birch Gold to help you navigate transitioning an existing IRA or 401k into an IRA in gold. As the U.S. dollar continues to receive pressure from foreign countries, digital currency, and central banks, arm yourself with information on how to protect your savings. Just text MONICA to 989-898 to claim your free info kit from Birch Gold Group right now. Hey guys, I'm Monica Crowley, and this is the Monica Crowley Podcast. Thanks so much for joining me here on this Friday. Survived yet another week in Biden's America. Congratulations. This is your go-to for hot liberty, a safe space for all of us thought criminals, independent thinkers, and happy warriors. Check me out on social media. On Instagram, I am at Monica Crowley underscore. And on Twitter and True Social, I am at Monica Crowley. And the email address here on the Monica Crowley podcast is Monica Crowley podcast at gmail.com. Pretty straightforward, guys. Monica Crowley podcast at gmail.com. Okay, very exciting news. On Monday, We are going to be joined by a true superstar of the Republican Party. This person might be flying under the radar right now, but not for long, I promise you. This person is the future. And you will hear from this person first right here on Monday. By the way, I like to sort of claim credit for Ted Cruz's career (laughs) because back when I was doing radio, somebody suggested this like completely unknown guy in Texas and said, Monica, you got to have this guy on. He is phenomenal. He's going places. He's the future. He's brilliant. And I said, who is it? And they said, Ted Cruz. And I was like, Ted Cruz? Nobody heard of Ted Cruz. Well, now everybody knows about Ted Cruz. He has had a brilliant political career, continues to have a brilliant political career, could run for president again someday. 
So I'm going to be very immodest and say that I launched Ted Cruz's career. (laughs) Not really, but I tell myself that all the time. Anyway, I put Ted Cruz on my radio show back when he was a complete unknown. And of course, he dazzled me and dazzled the audience and dazzled everybody. And now look where he is today. So I promise you, you're not going to want to miss Monday's show because we're going to have a true superstar. You may not know his name yet, but you will in relatively short order, and we are going to have him right here on Monday. Today, we're going to focus on COVID and what went down, which is particularly necessary today, given that the CDC panel just unanimously recommended that the experimental shot, and by the way, it's still under emergency authorization use. It has not been fully approved. Oh, but Monica Pfizer has a shot that's been fully approved. Well, yes, but that's not the one they're still putting in people's arms. The ones going into arms are still under emergency use. So the CDC panel 15 to zip recommended yesterday that the still experimental shot be put on the childhood vaccine schedule. When healthy children are not at risk and do not need this. And in fact, there's more and more data coming out every single day that children and young adults, well, they're getting sick from this. We all know about the cardiac events and so on, but there's more data coming out with every passing day. They try their best to bury it. But children, teenagers, young adults, not only are they not at risk for developing severe COVID in most cases, if you've got healthy children, God bless, but actually these shots are creating serious health issues in some cases. So there's still so much we do not know about this. And yet the CDC is like, oh, let's put it on the national childhood vaccine schedule. The corruption runs so deep. It's just, it's mind boggling how all of our institutions, including and perhaps especially the ones that are supposed to be protecting us, like the military, like law enforcement, like public health, Those are the ones where all of this wokeness and deep corruption, that's where it is the most dangerous. And now here we are. Now, states can come in and intervene. And we've got a lot of red state governors led by Ron DeSantis in Florida saying, nope, this changes nothing in the state of Florida. We are not going to mandate this shot for children. We've got Glenn Youngkin in Virginia. We've got the Tennessee governor. We've got a number of of, uh, Republican governors and candidates like Lee Zeldin in New York saying, no way. If I'm elected, forget it. This will not be mandated for your children and good for them. In fact, I tweeted this yesterday when DeSantis made his comment about, you know what, as long as I'm alive and in this office, Floridians do not have to worry about this being mandated. And I tweeted that and I said, this is real leadership. You know, Governor DeSantis telling the CDC what's up, that is real leadership. And I said, every Republican governor and candidate must make a similar pledge now. And they all began doing that. Again, I I can't say it's because of my tweet. Although since I launched Ted Cruz's career, let's take, (laughs) let's also take credit for this. But one after the other, they all started coming out saying, look, if you elect me or reelect me or while I'm governor, this is not going to happen. That is leadership. And I want to talk about leadership here in a a minute. 
But the corruption runs so deep on this whole COVID issue that today what I want to do is spend some real time taking it all apart with Florida's Surgeon General, Dr. Joseph Ladapo, who has seen the pandemic up close and personal and has some really important things to say about it. I've called for a COVID accountability project once Republicans take control of Congress, and we have begun doing it right here on this show. There are so many brave doctors and others like Dr. Simone Gold, but also you've got Naomi Wolf, who's been on this program, Robert F. Kennedy, who's taken a lot of slings and arrows, wrote a whole book exposing Fauci. There are people out there doing it, and we have done a lot of it on this show, too. We will continue to do that with Dr. Ladapo, Florida Surgeon General, coming up here in just a couple of minutes. But first, the Monica Memo. And I know we just kind of did a Monica Memo on the CDC and the gross corruption there, but here's another Monica Memo for you. It's Friday, so you get two for the price of one. A while ago, I predicted that Donald Trump, Bibi Netanyahu, and Boris Johnson would all come back at the same time. I stand by that prediction that all three are coming back, but I seem to be off on the timeline a little bit. Boris Johnson appears to be leading the pack, coming back sooner than anticipated, like by next week. All of this is happening because the current prime minister, who's got one foot on a banana peel, Liz Truss, she absolutely fell apart. It was an epic Epic implosion. Liz Trust came into office, what, 45 days ago, and she almost immediately proposed what the British called a mini-budget. So not an expansive thing, but a mini-budget to try to turn the British economy around because they're in the middle of an economic crisis. That mini-budget was full of great pro-growth policies like tax cuts, But Trust did not propose a way to pay for it. No spending cuts, etc. And she also did not prepare her colleagues or the public for it. You know, rule number one, when you come into office and you got big plans, you got to have buy-in, at the very least from your own party. You've got to sort of fertilize the ground so that people are prepared for what's coming. That's just like basic leadership. You've got to have buy-in, and you've got to sell it. She didn't do any of that. So the markets went into turmoil when the UK is already in an economic crisis, and she lost support of her own party. I mean, remember, this is what happened to my old boss, President Nixon. When Watergate was swirling, it went on for, what, a year and a half, nearly two years. And finally, it was only when uh, Barry Goldwater a Republican out of Arizona came to the White House and told Richard Nixon that his support in the Senate among his own party had collapsed. That's when Nixon knew it was over. He was still fighting. I think he probably should have fought forward. But when members of your own party come to you and say, we can no longer support you, then it's over because then you've got nobody. You certainly, as a, as a conservative, you certainly don't have the press. You don't have the liberals or, in the UK, the Labour Party. And if you don't have your own party protecting your flank and defending you and supporting the agenda, forget it. It's over. 
So after a whopping 44 days as prime minister, Liz Truss resigned yesterday. This is the shortest term for any prime minister in British history and completely embarrassing for her and, again, for a great country. You know how I talk about on this show about the embarrassment of Joe Biden, the world's only superpower, the United States of America, a great and good country? How embarrassing is it that we've got this demented fool whose strings are being pulled by the communists and the globalists. How embarrassing for us. Well, now the UK has their own signal embarrassment here in Liz Trust. And now it looks like old Boris Johnson is going to return as prime minister after just leaving the job in scandal about a month and a half ago. But at least Boris Johnson is a leader. Not perfect by any stretch, but a leader. The West has a crisis of leadership. We are quote-unquote led for the most part, and there are exceptions like the Polish government, Viktor Orban in Hungary, the new Italian prime minister, Giorgia Maloney, uh, Bolsonaro in Brazil. There are some exceptions who are smart, tough, and fighters. But otherwise, the West is led by weak, stupid, or evil frauds, starting with Biden and our own regime. And then we have the transnationalists, like the World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab, and the Schwabies, and his right-hand man, Yuval Hariri, who is a particularly evil guy, the World Health Organization, the Gates Foundation, George Soros, all of these globalists, and then here at home, our own CDC. And all of these unelected bureaucrats, accountable to no one, running our lives and ruining our lives and destroying people, destroying our freedom. We need real leadership in the West, strong, tough, visionary leadership, willing to support and defend and advance Western values against these evil globalist forces. What are Western values? A lot of people have lost sight of what they are, and kids today certainly are not learning them. These are the values of individual liberty, economic freedom, borders and national sovereignty, religious freedom, human rights, bodily autonomy, the ability to be safe and secure in your own community, your own home, and your own country. That's what we need. Not spineless wimps or globalists dressed up as nationalists or communists dressed up as Democrats. We need real leadership in the West if the West is to be rescued. We must demand it, and we will on November 8th and beyond. Guys, we need Churchills. This is a moment that requires nothing less. We need Churchills here and everywhere else in the West if we're going to win this war for freedom. Let's freaking go.
Okay, when we come back, we're going to talk with someone who's been battling the power-mad lunatics on the COVID front. There's got to be a reckoning for what they put us through and the lives they have destroyed. Again, it all comes from the unelected bureaucrats like the CDC, the NIH, and the globalists at the World Economic Forum, the Schwabies, the Weffies, the World Health Organization controlled by the CCP, the whole alphabet soup of these little petty tyrants destroying Western freedom, destroying our lives. There's got to be accountability for this. We're going to talk now to Florida Surgeon General, Dr. Joseph Ladapo, about all of it straight ahead. Do not go anywhere. Well, guys, I've been waiting for this interview for a very long time. I am absolutely delighted to welcome Dr. Joseph Ladapo. He is the Surgeon General of Florida. He's also a professor at the University of Florida College of Medicine. He received his MD from Harvard Medical School, and he also holds a PhD in public health policy from Harvard Graduate School of Arts and Sciences. So you could say... He is a smarty pants. His brand new book is called Transcend Fear, Mindful Leadership in Public Health. And he joins me now. Dr. Ladapo, welcome. So I'm just so delighted to have you with me. Oh, thanks, Monica. I'm really happy to be be chatting with you and your audience today. Well, it's an honor to have you here, sir. And we've got a lot to cover with you. But I'd like to start with you because I have a copy of this book, Transcend Fear, and it's such a beautiful book in so many ways and a truthful book about public health policy, particularly with regard to the COVID pandemic. And we're going to break all of that apart. But you do start with your own story and your own background. And it's just an incredible tale because it begins with you being born in Nigeria and then suffering emotional abuse as a child. Can you talk to us a little bit about that formative experience and how it shaped you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting in that this stuff, the, the things that happened to me and I was chatting with someone about about this, but the things that happened to me, just like with with everyone else, they shape the path that people take. So the things that happened to happen to me shaped the path that I took by shaping who I was, how I was able to relate to the world. And, and in fact, emotionally, that was stunted. Intellectually, it was fine. I was able to do well in school and and all of that. But we all know, or at least should hopefully know by the time you're grown that that those things are wonderful, but the things that really define your that define your happiness, that define your ability to to enjoy life, whether that's a possibility for you, have all to do with our relationship with other people. And that part for me was stunted because of experiences I had as as a as a as a little boy and and probably that was definitely the major trigger. But the the daily stressors that we all deal with, just the the stress of life daily, day after day, contributed to to my emotional and and my emotional dysfunction basically. And I describe it a bit in the book because I think, not even I think, it is important to be as transparent 
as possible so that people because my my hope and my objective is is to help other people and specifically people who are interested in finding help for whatever their their personal goals are because it's not everyone that is interested in that and that's that's perfectly fine but for people who are I wanted to be as transparent as possible and for me it was a babysitter the kind of the major the major experience that defined my early years was a babysitter who who sexually abused me who broke my boundaries when i was probably around you know 4 years old or or, or somewhere around there it's just incredible how you overcame it and how you turned it around. And I know, you know, a lot of people have similar experiences. I think everybody has at least one significant trauma in their life. Some people experience more than that. And, you know, life is hard and people are imperfect and they will let you down and they will hurt you. And so the question is, how do you overcome that? And a lot of people need assistance to do that. And there's no shame in that. There is no, there's actually great strength in that. And the fact that you tell the story about how you overcame that, and also, doctor, how you use that experience to help others, you know, in particular, write about a Navy SEAL and so on. But in the medical profession, which is a healing profession, do you feel like that that negative formative experience in your childhood where you were abused, that that lit something inside you that made you wanted to want to go into the healing profession? I don't think so, because in fact, for me, I, I alluded to this earlier, but for me, what it did to me, and I didn't know, and I didn't know until I actually finally got help. And you mentioned a Navy SEAL that I worked with and he got me totally free of not only that, but other stressors that, that I had accumulated over my lifetime. But I, I didn't, I didn't, to answer your question, I would say no, because the effect of that experience for me was to, was to disconnect myself from myself. Mm. So in terms of my ability to be in touch in with what I, with what I wanted, what I desired, what I, what I yearned for, all of that was blunted. My ability to connect with other people emotionally, that was blunted. So I enjoyed mathematics. I enjoyed science and I liked people. And I think those things pushed me th- toward pursuing medicine, the field of medicine as a career. But in fact, I was completely disconnected from that experience. And I felt that it even actually, and I described it in the book, I felt that it it even didn't affect me. You know, it, it happened and it wasn't a, it wasn't a big deal. It happened. I was small and, and that was that. But as I would learn later, not only was it not not a big deal. It was the biggest deal in my life that was defining how I showed up in the world. And so how did you, how did the physician heal thyself? Well, the physician was fortunate to fall in love with a woman who is a healer. And it's, it's interesting because some people are healers and, and a healer has nothing to do with your degree. Some, some people are just gifted with a 
with the talent to heal other people. And my wife happens to be one of those people. I'm not one of those people. I'm a doctor. I'm taking care of many, many, many patients over the years. But in terms of just a really intuitive sense of how to heal people, I don't possess that. My wife possesses that. And by the way, when you find a doctor who also possesses that intuition, that takes you to another level of care that most doctors aren't able to achieve. Mm. Mm. So my wife, she actually, over the years, she's been helping me. She, all of these issues that I had buried and thought were no big deal came up to the surface when I fell in love with her, which is how love works. The things that aren't working in your life, it brings them up to the surface when you fall in love. And, you know, she sent me to to counselors. They were great. But I was basically moving an inch at a time and I had probably a 10 mile journey. And finally, she found this guy, Christopher Mayher, Mayher for me, who's this former Navy SEAL. And he just, he has mastered techniques that are related to Chinese medicine and meridian theory and the flow of chi and stuff that, I mean, I was not familiar with any of this stuff. And I would, I didn't believe any of it would work, but my wife was at the end of her rope and, and I had to do something and she told me to see this guy. And I had, I had no grounds to say I wouldn't because she literally, I'd, I'd driven my poor wife to the to the end of her end of her sanity with all my emotional problems and i worked with him for five days and i emerged a completely new man and it's the man i am today incredible yes a good woman will do that doctor for sure and you certainly have a very good one there who was patient and loving and kind and um, and got you where you needed to be in terms of the healing you needed to do so all of that obviously came in handy when the pandemic hit and you write about this extensively in your new book transcend fear so you were working at a hospital in los angeles can you bring us back to the moment when you, as a medical doctor, first heard of the novel coronavirus, SARS-CoV-2, what was your first impression of it? Because it's not all that often that we see a new virus alight on the scene that is this contagious and could, at the moment um, that we first heard about it, we also heard that it could have real societal impact. So what Bring us back to that moment. You're working in this hospital in LA, and all of a sudden you hear about this new virus. Take us back there. Yeah, well, so I heard about the virus before I was working in the hospital. So I, I ended up, I did work, I worked in the hospital in March, and this was at UCLA Ronald Reagan Hospital in West LA. So I was working in the hospital actually during the week that Governor Newsom shut down the state. And and that was a that was a really that was a really a blessing of an experience because I got to be right there in the center of the of the panic and the pandemonium from the from the hospital leadership and from my colleagues and from patients and the patients that I took care of that that came in with a diagnosis of of COVID nineteen. But prior to so I was I am a clinician researcher. So I would at UCLA, I would work in the hospital for, I'd work for a week. I'd go a week or two weeks. I'd go and do research for a month or two months. Then I'd come back to the hospital and go back to research, come back to the hospital. 
So prior to that March rotation in the hospital, I had been reading about the virus and with a lot of curiosity, because at that point it was still across the across the Pacific and you know, reading these reports, hearing about what's happening in China, then later what's happening in Italy. And, and it was, I mean, it was, it was interesting. I, I think I was, I was concerned and because it certainly seemed to be something that in was having high mortality rates, at least in, in some subgroups. And it seemed to be something we didn't understand and didn't understand how to treat. So I was concerned and so I followed the I followed the the articles. I looked for data, and early on I saw some data from Wuhan that showed case fatality rates by age. And so this was very early on. And when I was working in the hospital, my residents, so I was the attending physician. My residents are training physicians at UCLA, all young people, and they were very. Some of them were. I, I can think of one in particular was very, 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 very scared. I mean, there was a there was a lot of, of fear in the atmosphere and she was experiencing a lot of it. And I decided one morning or afternoon after rounds to look at the numbers with my team. So we looked at the case fatality rates and it was it was really obvious, basically in Wuhan at that time, basically something like no kids had died, or maybe one poor child had died of thousands and thousands and thousands of, of positive cases. And and it, the and it was flipped for older people. The case fatality rate was orders of magnitude higher. So I, I went through these data with my team and and thinking that it would help to at least know the numbers. And I remember being amazed at the fact that it didn't seem to help. The resident who was terrified, she remained terrified. And it spoke to the power of fear and of panic and of how that interrupts rational thinking or thinking. I don't even want to say rational thinking, just clear thinking, like the thinking you would do if you're not under stress or duress. And that was that was an that was an that was a great helpful recognition for me to see just what was going on. You know, you, you even title your book Transcend Fear, which is easier said than done, especially with an, an unknowable thing like a, a virus, which is invisible to the naked eye. It begins on the other side of the world. It's spreading quickly. Um, you know, the fear was completely understandable, but fear is also perhaps the greatest emotional motivator, even more so than love and even more so than hate. Fear is a big motivator and all of the world's totalitarian tyrants have understood that and they have all leveraged fear to achieve their political ends. And now I think about the public health folks here in the United States, like doctors Fauci, Burks, Redfield, Walensky, they immediately leveraged fear as a weapon. And then we had uh, members of the government who were doing the same thing, but these public health officials did this in order to gain compliance with lockdowns and later with vaccine uptake. So what, and being an, uh, an MD and a PhD and understanding the psychology of fear, as you saw that unfolding around you and, and watching fear being weaponized for political ends, what did you think? 
Well, yeah, there's a lot there, Monica. First, I would say that in terms of transcending fear being easier said than done, I would say actually it, it's not about that. That's that is a conceptualization as tra- of transcending fear as being something that happens in the mind. But it's actually not something that happens in the mind. It's something that happens with your in your being. So it's it really it's not so much easier or easy or hard. It's it's whether you are or are not. And the work that the work that I did with Christopher got me away from someone from being someone who essentially lived in the frequency of fear to someone who no longer carried that frequency needed to needed to access that frequency was a part of that frequency. So it's not that it's easier, hard. It's more just being like a child is joyous, right? The child doesn't have to think about that. That is just the nature of the being. And I'll, I'll quibble very politely with you that, that I don't think by any shot fear or hate have, I don't think any of them have anything on love. Love will, always be the most powerful emotion and force. And I think we actually see that during the pandemic in terms of the people who fought back from the beginning and their numbers have grown to the present. Whereas all the people that were trafficking deeply in fear, their numbers have fallen. You are absolutely correct. They Fear has clearly been used as a tool for for manipulation and and that's just the bottom line and it's 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 ex, it's it's always bad because it's instead of instead of appealing to our angels and and the best parts of us it appeals to the most base and lowest you know lowest parts of us but it's extra bad in public health because th- that being a bad strategy was already recognized as literally a cornerstone of public health that you don't use fear as a tool to coerce behavior and why not not only is it morally bereft it's also it's also just a dumb strategy because it will come back to bite you in the ass (laughs) right and we're seeing that now with the fact that there's so little trust, certainly on the right and and less so on the left, but still, but so little trust right now for health professionals and bipartisan on a bipartisan level, I would I have I suspect that there's very little trust for public health professionals. And there's there's so much, there's a lot of animosity. All these poor people that were forced to put something in their bodies that they didn't want to because they didn't want to lose their job, didn't want to feel like they were unable to to feed their families, didn't want to be kicked out of school. That builds so much resentment. And that's what's festering. That's what's still left here in the wake of the ending of these dumb, idiotic vaccine passports and the other stupid stuff that that Dr. Fauci and other federal leaders pushed for so long. 
And I do want to pick up on that because I, I think that's such a critical point is the collapse in confidence in our public health officials and the public health apparatus, which is incredibly dangerous. Dr. Ladapo, please hang tight. Let's hit a quick break and we will get into so much more with you straight ahead. First, though, with the consumer price index going up yet again, the stock market has been very volatile. And what's our government doing about it? Well, not much, except they continue to spend to make things worse. Don't bury your head in the sand while your savings gets absolutely decimated. Do something about it. Text Monica to 989-898 and Birch Gold Group will send you a free info kit on protecting your savings with gold in a tax-sheltered account. These are great people with almost 20 years experience converting IRAs and 401ks into precious metals IRAs. So don't allow the left to devalue your savings. Text Monica to 989-898 and claim your free, no obligation info kit from Birch Gold. Again, you can own physical gold and silver in a tax-sheltered retirement account and Birch Gold will help you do it. Birch Gold has an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of satisfied customers. So check them out right now. Text MONICA to 989-898 and secure your future with gold. Do it today. We'll be right back. Okay, everybody, listen up. We all want to be healthier, right? Well, to get there, we have to have a healthier diet, which is not always easy to do. I can attest to that. You know, that shredded lettuce in a double-double and the fruit filling in a donut are amazing, but they do not count toward the recommended five servings of fruits and vegetables a day. Sorry to be the one to break it to you, but they don't. I don't always eat healthy either, but I will share that the Mayo Clinic says if you want to help prevent heart disease, lower blood pressure, and cholesterol, eat five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. I don't, and you probably won't. That's why I take Field of Greens. Unlike other supplements, each fruit and each vegetable in Field of Greens was medically selected by doctors to support your vital organs, like the heart, lungs, kidneys, and the immune system. Flu season is here, and I trust Field of Greens to help me stay healthy. Field of Greens works fast and tastes so good. It's really delicious, guys, and you'll feel better with more energy and you'll notice your skin, hair, and nails will look healthier too. I certainly noticed that in me since I started taking Field of Greens. If you don't always eat right and exercise, join me and take Field of Greens. Let me get you started with 15% off your first order. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use promo code MONICA. That's promo code MONICA at fieldofgreens.com, fieldofgreens.com. Okay, we're back with Florida Surgeon General, Dr. Joseph Ladapo. Let's let's go back to some of the early days of the pandemic. I mean, I've talked to a lot of doctors who were there on the front lines, and they say, look, we were seeing a lot of mortality at the time uh, due to COVID. But did you notice that at the time, the people coming in with serious illnesses and those who were dying 
also had serious comorbidities like heart disease and obesity, diabetes, and so on. That was not told to the public at the time. You know, the elderly and so on, the most vulnerable, that was not told to the public by these public health officials. It was a blanket. Everybody needs to live in fear of this virus. We don't know how this virus is going to behave yet. It's killing a lot of people, but they specifically did not tell us which groups of people were actually coming down with serious illness and dying. Yeah, that's, that was, I totally, I completely agree with you. And I, I agree. It was, it was, it was a tool to compel adherence to compel behavior to compel actually compliance and it was immoral the whole time just as the great barrington declaration authors stated dr j Bhattacharya, dr martin koldorf that what what should have happened is similar to what happened in sweden you know let the kids go to school life is not free of risks and young people or people who are low risk or people who don't even if they're high risk if they don't if they don't want to live with restrictions you know let people be free i we would have had a more clearly a more sustainable effort in terms of management of the pandemic we wouldn't have had all this distrust that we're all dealing with now we certainly wouldn't have had the tremendous harms to young people, to kids who were locked out of school for so long, something that we're going to, without question, I mean, that's going to take probably a few generations to work itself out in terms of the negative effects and the and how far the shadow that cast will go. But it, we, and then overall, we probably would be in about the same place in terms of total mortality. And we might even be lower because we know that the lockdowns increased had effects that were at that were negative for overall mortality unrelated to covid so it's we basically picked the very worst most costly path we could take yeah i know and being lied to from the very beginning it was really completely outrageous. And I've called for a COVID accountability project. I've had members of Congress on the show saying, you guys, if Republicans take control of Congress, we have to have this. We've got to have an accountability project. Um, you know, early on in, in the process here, early on in the early days of the pandemic, doctor, many, many doctors, and it sort of came from the NIH CDC protocol, but they were putting these patients on remdesivir, they were putting them on ventilators. And I guess in the early days, nobody, nobody knew better. But then once we knew better, they continued to do it. We also saw the immediate blacklisting and smearing of known therapeutics, like hydroxychloroquine, like I ivermectin. They just destroyed those medications. And obviously, all of this was done to get the emergency authorization for the Moderna and Pfizer and J&J shots, the mRNA quote-unquote vaccines. They wanted to channel everybody into these experimental shots, so they sidelined the known therapeutics. Well, why do you think that they did that? I mean, is there is there a... Well, let, let me just put the question out there. Why do you think it was that they sidelined the therapeutics and channeled everybody into the shots? Right. So it, it's so it's it's. I, I think the answer to your question is that it was just another example of coercion and an interest in forcing the pathway, and specifically first forcing this 
lock down, stay in your home, wear six different masks every time you show yourself in public to then the next the next pathway was we've got these vaccines and everybody's got to take it. So I, I do I do I think that I think that those are that force compliance on a force pathway, one size fits all. That was a component. That's a that was a that was a central piece of it. But frankly, I think it's complex. You know, there 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 are individuals, for example, who really believe, believe that 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 human beings don't have much in the way of rights, and instead, you know, large corporations and and other other stakeholders who have a lot of of power and wealth should be the ones telling people how to live. So I think there are multiple components. With the medications, I personally studied hydroxychloroquine more, and I felt that based on looking at the data, the randomized clinical trials, multiple trials showing a benefit, but not reaching statistical significance. So my sense was that at the very least, it needed to be tested more properly in the outpatient setting, you know, for early treatment. And, and th- at the very least, that's what needed to happen, but certainly don't interfere with doctors who are using that or ivermectin and think that and feel that they're having good effect in their, with their patients. You know, that's a, we don't, we didn't know enough to be able to say that you can't, you, you can't use a medication. So it's it's I, I really do I hope and pray that people realize that they have not only been misled, but they've really been taken advantage of. So many of the things that happened were just completely abnormal and not right. And people who push them are trying to convince the public that those were indeed the right actions. Yes. And I think the story has yet to be told about conflicts of interest on the part of people like Fauci and Burks and Walensky and so on, profits, uh, vested interests. I, I think that those facts have been buried and I think we'll, we will eventually see them because nothing stays secret forever. Well, now that we are beginning to see some of the actual data, what Pfizer was trying to keep under wraps for 75 years, uh, the dangers of these shots, people are becoming now aware of them. So was there anything that these big pharma companies knew during the initial trials about the cardiac events, about the fertility dangers, about some of the other things that we're now beginning to hear about? Did these big pharma companies know that at the time? Did the CDC and NIH know about this at the time and they kept going with promoting these vaccines? Or are we just sort of getting initial data on this stuff now? Well, that's, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a great question, Monica. And it's been a, it's, it, it, it is not knowable yet because Pfizer and Moderna are still sitting on the data, bogarting the data. And my understanding is that these data have actually have been, have been ordered for release. And normally FDA is supposed to make data publicly available, but to know answers to those questions, we need the data. And they are doing, from everything I've seen, they are, they are working very hard to keep independent scientists and researchers from accessing the data. I would say that if you look historically, it's it's just so interesting, Monica, that, that 
people who are intelligent, you know, have medical degrees or PhDs and other degrees and can read and therefore are able to read about the history of things like Vioxx or other medications and 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 misleading advertising and off-label promotion and court cases and settlements by Merck, by Pfizer, by other drug companies. These companies, I mean, they're capable of, only God knows what they're capable of, but they have a history of doing just tremendously unethical things. And it's it's just so fascinating that intelligent people nowadays are willing to surrender their their curiosity to these companies. They have there's no basis for putting your faith in a company whose job, whose primary objective it is to make profits. But this is what we see. And it it's it's truly, I mean, it's a mystery to me. Again, very intelligent people, lots of degrees and still doing this. It's, you know, sometimes it's the people with the most degrees who are exactly like that. <laughs> Doctor, I mean, it's, you know that to be true. And so do I. Um, you know, it's it, you're absolutely right. Critical thinking was one of the first casualties of this pandemic. And I, I notice a lot of like, you know, traditional liberals who will only eat organic because they're terrified of pesticides, but they were more than willing to roll up their sleeve and put an experimental shot in their body where they knew nothing about what was going into their systems. Really incredible. Um, The the cardiac events, let's talk about that because you just uh, did a big policy uh, announcement in the state of Florida. You recently recommended that young men between the ages of 18 and 39 not receive the shots. Tell us why. Sure, yeah. So this is another example, Monica, of, first of all, Florida stepping in. And fortunately, we have a governor with Governor DeSantis who really has a lot of integrity. So why in the world would we know that these vaccines do increase cardiac side effects in young people, young men specifically, by, by the way, to a higher rate after the second shot than COVID does? I mean, just it's a very high rate in terms of in terms of the effect that these mRNA vaccines have on 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 myocarditis, pericarditis. So why in the world would we know all of that and not look more closely at other cardiac adverse events? Of course we should. This is something that should have been done already. Not only that, but we also have other reasons to look more closely at cardiovascular events. So it, it, I'm sure it got no press in the mainstream, but there's a journal called JAMA, Journal of the American Medical Association. And one, one of the journals in that family published a study that looked at Scandinavian data, you know, Denmark, Norway, Finland, I think. And they looked at a bunch of cardiovascular outcomes associated with AstraZeneca and the mRNA vaccines. And basically what they found was that there were a number of cardiovascular outcomes that were, that appeared to be worsened by the vaccines, by the mRNA vaccines. So you have 
you know, you have that. There's another study that was published in Israel that found an increase in cardiac events, acute cardiac events after mRNA vaccine rollout. There are other studies. The FDA has a study that they've they've been very quiet about, but it shows uh, a maybe a 15% increase in the risk of heart attacks in Medicare enrollees after the mRNA COVID-19 vaccines. So there's a lot of data out there already that shows increased cardiac risk with these vaccines. So why would you not look more closely? And that's what we did in, in Florida. And we used Florida data. And basically, we found a bunch of different things. But the major finding that really stood out was that if you were a young man, your risk of having a cardiac death 28 days after the vaccine was increased by about 84%. Mm-hmm. So, it's, I mean, that's a huge finding. Yeah. The, you know, the study has limitations. The confidence intervals are wide. So, in other words, I think the, the range was something like it could be as low as 5%. It could be as high as maybe 200%. So wide range in terms of the confidence interval, but it was the only group that had a really marked increase in risk in of all the groups that we looked at. Obviously, that aligns with what we're seeing in nature. And that raises common sense concerns about whether at this point in the pandemic, it is a sensible thing to provide that an mRNA vaccine to a young man. When we already know that immunity is incredibly widespread, the risk was already low. Omicron is, is much less is much less acute than the earlier variants during the pandemic. And it, it, it in in the context of all that, it it clearly was unclear whether the benefits outweigh the risk. You just very, I mean, it's obvious. People are going nuts over this. I mean, it's it's just so it's so clearly obvious. So so that was the recommendation we made. And by the way, I think this will come out more. I think I think more uh, more organizations, more countries will make this. Denmark already, they're not recommending any more COVID shots if you're under 50. Right. What, what does that imply? Well, it implies that they've decided that in those age groups, the benefits are not outweighed by the risks. You know, there are other issues that came up early on and people who tried to bring attention to them doctor got smeared and attacked like you did after you made this policy announcement in the state of Florida. But I think specifically of fertility issues, that women's menstrual cycles were disrupted. Now there's some data that sperm counts um, among younger men have been suppressed after taking these shots. There are a whole range of issues here, including the the overarching one, which is the, the idea that these shots are actually suppressing the natural immune system, which is why the more shots that people get, the higher the rate of symptomatic COVID hospitalizations and deaths. So the, the number of people who are being hospitalized and dying still of COVID are the ones who have been highly vaccinated. Is there anything that you can tell us about how these shots work in, in with regard to the natural immune system? Is it actually suppressing it, making people more vulnerable to COVID and perhaps a whole array of other diseases? Sure, sure, Monica. Well, I can, I can certainly 
summarize what we've seen in the data. And what we've seen in the data is that the protective effect from severe COVID illness, that that's, you know, that's been demonstrated widely. They they do reduce the incidence of of being hospitalized or dying from COVID-19. But the, the protective effect from infection, it, finally, everyone concedes it was people used to give me a hard time when I would say it when the early data from Israel was showing this. But everyone concedes now that the immunity, the protection from infection wanes over time. So a number of studies now have shown in different countries that not only does it wane over time, but eventually it becomes negative. And what that means is that people who have received the the COVID-19, the mRNA COVID-19 vaccines, at one, at some point become more likely to become infected with COVID-19, with the, with the virus. And I know it, it must sound strange because you don't hear about this, but literally it's, it's what's been shown. I'm right this moment looking at a paper that was published in the journal Nature Communications, which is an excellent journal, and it uses data from uh, Qatar and national data and it clearly after in this particular study after seven months the the infection the effect the infection protection goes underwater like people are more likely to become infected that is abnormal you know that's not something that you want to see and it's why that's happening has not received hardly enough attention. Instead, what people were trying to do is just boost people all the way to the the end of time. But that that's abnormal. And we don't have a good understanding of that yet. The sperm count stuff, totally multiple studies have shown Actually, there's one major study that has shown a and a good study. I think it was published in the journal Andrology, has shown that mRNA COVID-19 vaccination has effects on the sperm count and sperm motility. And I mean, this is not this is these are not favorable findings. Like, why the heck is this stuff happening? And the study in Andrology, because there's so much politics, of course, around these vaccines. Said it stated that it was a quote unquote temporary effect. But the fact is, if you look at the tables, there's still dysfunction at their furthest follow up point. So, you know, and then and then with fertility related issues, I think that if it weren't for the fact that so many women who happen to be scientists and are researchers didn't personally have that experience of having a disruption in their menstrual cycles, this would also be something that was considered, you know, misinformation and reasons to boot people off of Twitter. So these these effects are not well understood. They obviously speak to the safety or to the uncertainty about safety with these mRNA vaccines and should clearly be investigated further. And I just, I hope that people recover their autonomy, their sovereignty, and stop allowing these public health officials who don't have their best interests at heart 
to keep pushing them around. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, all of the down talking about natural immunity, which Fauci just talked down for a long time, again, because they were trying to channel everybody into these shots and they didn't want anybody relying on robust natural immunity. Um, it, it, it just, it, it strikes me as a major crime against humanity. Um, but that's a subject for a different day. The, the number of excess deaths, let me ask you about that. So we've all seen the videos of professional athletes like soccer players just collapsing on the pitch. A lot of young people dropping dead, a lot of people dying in their sleep. Um, nobody wants to talk about this. Again, big tech working hand in glove with big government to control the flow of information and what's out there. But we do see a spike in the number of excess deaths, not just here in the U.S., but across the West and really around the world, Israel and Japan and Asia and the rest, all since the debut of these shots in early 2021. What are your thoughts, doctor, on what could be causing these elevated levels of deaths? Yeah, obviously, it's a really, it's a very important question. I don't know. I know that some people speculate that it could be effects of the kind of long-term effects of the lockdowns. Some people speculate that it could be related to the COVID-19 vaccine shots. And some people speculate that there may be other, other causes that we don't, we don't understand. And truthfully, I don't know. The study we did looking at Florida data does suggest, even though it was really one group that was at, at just a very, very, very increased risk compared to other groups, there were signals in other groups for potential increases in cardiac, cardiovascular deaths. And, and in older men, in fact, there was a I think a 10% increase in cardiac related deaths, which is a big deal in that age group. And because there, there's so many already, so it's actually a pretty substantial number in terms of the increase. So I, I don't know, but I think that, that hypotheses should be investigated in a scientific manner and not with all the politics where people are trying, doing all sorts of acrobatics to somehow protect Pfizer and Moderna and and in their own reputations for for having pushed these mercilessly on people. So we need more research into this. And I I do believe that it it will happen. Well, you are very confident in that, doctor. I, I hope that you're right. Dr. Ladapo, please stand by. Much more to cover with you straight ahead. And we're back with our final moments with Dr. Joseph Ladapo, Florida's Surgeon General. Uh, before I let you go, let's talk just a little bit about public policy, lockdowns, school closures, masks, social distancing. We know that none of this worked to stop this, this highly contagious respiratory virus. Florida did not do this beyond the early period and really had the same or better health outcomes than blue states like California and New York that locked down for a very, very long time. States like Florida also reopened and thrived economically where the blue states are still lagging way behind. So, as we look at all of the power and control that was consolidated uh, during this pandemic, in the next pandemic, 
What do you expect? Do you expect the same thing? Do you think our public health apparatus is irredeemably corrupt? How do we fix this? And, you know, we've got to fix it because of the dangers to the American people if we don't have confidence in what we're being told. Yeah, totally. I I think that what happens will depend on the choices we make now. Specifically, I think it really has to do with what the people demand. And if left to themselves, unfortunately, many of the same mistakes I am very confident would be made. I mean, they, you know, many public health officials and professors, they've just got no shame. They think that you know everything they did was great. And in fact, maybe the problem was they didn't do it hard enough. You know, they should have locked down harder and they should have closed longer and all this nonsense. And it's it's going to take the people demanding their right to be to be human beings, which means that, you know, we are representations of God and no one tells gets to tell you that you can't work or you can't walk outside or you can't go surf in the ocean or you can't visit someone you love. So people and I, I pray and I hope that enough people come to terms with that, that they don't get taken for another ride when the next emergency comes, because the next emergency is definitely coming and it's going to be up to the people to demand their sovereignty, to claim it, to reclaim it. Yeah. I mean, I think so much of this doctor was about conditioning the American people to think that their freedom was selfish because they really made this incredibly uh, powerful emotional appeal to us. It wasn't a public health appeal. I mean, they they did that too, but it was more like, well, if you don't wear a mask, you're going to kill grandma. It was an emotional manipulation rather than a data-based presentation of the facts. And I think we've got a, a very serious sky is falling syndrome where they have lied to us so much for so long that if we do have a far more dangerous situation present itself, people are not going to believe what they're told. And that that is going to be a huge crisis. Do you ever think, doctor, that we're going to get the truth about COVID origins, about the public health corruption, about the dangers of these shots, about what officials knew and when about all of their lies. This is why I say we need a COVID accountability project. Will we ever get that? I, I do think so. And it and it comes back to that little discussion about love. The folks that have been fighting to, you know, to, to protect and preserve human rights and civil liberties, to protect and preserve truth and integrity in science and integrity in communication to the public in terms of adherence to like principles that recognize that individuals do have rights and do have liberties and don't get to get pushed around that that by by large cop corporations or other state state pardon me stakeholders those individuals they are motivated by love ultimately the core of those types of motivations is love and that force continues to grow. And I think that that force will bring more light to those issues that you've raised. 
I love that we are ending on the concept of love. <laughs> and I agree with you. I'm, I'm a hopeless romantic too. And I do believe that love is an incredible motivating force. But I also think that fear in the wrong hands can motivate a lot in the opposite direction. And that's what we have to be on guard for. You are absolutely spectacular, doctor. Thank you so much for being here today and for your courage and your leadership, especially at this time. And I, I know I speak for every Everybody, whether you live in Florida or not, we greatly appreciate you and your courage and your leadership. God bless you. God bless you too. Thank you for your sweet words, Monica. Uh, of course, well earned. Dr. Joseph Ladapo, his new book is called Transcend Fear, a blueprint for mindful leadership in public health. He is the Surgeon General for the great state of Florida. And man, for those of us who don't live in Florida, we're really jealous that we don't have him as our chief doctor. Go get his book. Again, it's called Transcend Fear. Okay, guys, that's going to do it for us on this Friday. Thank you so much for joining me this week and for visiting our terrific sponsors. We all really appreciate that. Don't forget to send me an email to Podcast at gmail.com. Have a fun, relaxing weekend with those you love, and I will see you right back here on Monday with a big conversation with a rising political star. You're not going to want to miss this, I promise you. I'll see you then. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.